Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Privilege and honor to be in your presence, truly, Lord. Might sound cliched, but Lord, we know, Father, what an honor and a privilege to be called your children. Behold, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. What an awesome privilege to be called your children. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We just worship you, Father. Yes, Lord. We worship you. And even now, Father, we want to have that attitude of worship even as we listen to your word, O oh Lord. Father, we want to worship by lending our ear to your voice. Quicken us this evening, O oh Lord. Many of us have come from work, uh, been a hot day. But Lord, you are able to quicken us. Quicken us, our mortal bodies, by the Holy Spirit. And quicken our ears to listen to your voice. Anoint us afresh. Father, help, O oh Lord. Help us to speak and to listen to your word. Anoint each one of us afresh, we pray. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we sang that song, the last song, Purify my heart, cleanse me from within and make me holy, purify my heart. Cleanse me from my sin deep within. Refiner's fire. That's the prayer of, I hope all one of, each one of us over here and I, that's why I titled my message, Lord, Keep me from my sin. That's the title of today's message. Lord, keep me from my sin. And what am I going to speak to you, which is, which you have not already heard? You know, recently I went to the bookstore in OM and I was just browsing through one of the books which says justification by faith through, by faith, uh, by faith through grace. By grace through faith, sorry. But justification by grace through faith by one author from uh, the Southern Baptists. And I was just, just, just took, took it from the shelf and I started uh, reading the foreword. And he said, uh, what will I write new, something new which has already, not already been told. And then he, he was, in the foreword he was quoting a, he was quoting Martin Luther. And this is something which struck to me, you know, it's just stuck to me and struck me. This is what Martin Luther has to say. We need to hear the gospel every day. Because we forget it every day. <laughs> we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. How true. All flesh is as grass. All the glory of the field is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word that was preached to you by the gospel. That's what Peter will say in First Peter chapter 1. We need to hear the gospel every day. Because we forget the gospel every day. And that is the reason that the author of the book of Hebrews will, cha- will say, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25, I mean 10, 25 will say, as, even as you see that day approaching, gather as many times as possible. So that you can admonish and correct each other. Why do we do this? What is the gospel? Gospel, Paul says, moreover brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Which you also received and which, and in which you stand. By which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and Paul will continue to say in Hebrews chapter 3 or 4, 4 he, will say, he will say, He was delivered up, delivered up for our offenses and raised us up for our justification. That is the gospel that was preached. What does it tell me? One of the things that it constantly reminds me is that what will keep me away from heaven is my sin. It's not my poverty. It's not my lack of health. 
It is not the lack of resources or strength or even, even opportunities. No, 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 no. What will keep me away from the presence of God for all eternity is my sin. And one of the things that I have to constantly remind myself every day, even as we are going through this fast. Every day. Every day, every moment. And more so when you fast, everything comes out. All the kachada, as you say, will come out. Which sure will come out, no? If you are really willing. This this message, but the title of this message was motivated by one psalm of David. This is Psalm 18 from verse 20 to 24 onwards. Psalm 18, verses 20 to 24. And this is a psalm in which David writes when he gets delivered from Saul. Uh, Saul is, uh, is, is dead and finally God has delivered him. And this is what he has to say. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. Remember, this is a psalm. This is a hymn. Alright? Now, you see, in hymns, you also have four statements. Look at what he says. For, why did the Lord reward, why did the Lord reward me? For, I have kept the ways of the Lord and I have not wickedly departed from my God. How is it that I have kept my, kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God? For all his judgments were before me. And I did not put away his statutes from me. And this is precious. This is precious. Very precious. Verse 23. This is where I get my title today. I was also blameless before him. I was not sinless before him. I was blameless before him. And I kept myself from my iniquity, my sin. Powerful. Therefore, the Lord had recompensed me according to my righteousness. Do you see how logical the Bible is, even in hymns? The Lord rewarded me. Why? For I was this, for I was this, therefore. Statement, for, 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 therefore. Have you, have you sung hymns like that? Only one hymn I have, I've seen four statements, no? That's Martin Luther's famous hymn. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Ash helper he amid the flood in mortal ills prevailing. For, because, still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And then he goes on to say, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving will be failing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dusk asked who, my, who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Shabbat is his name and age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Amazing. And you see the entire reformation in that one hymn. Powerful. Hymns with reasons. Of course, David doesn't have big, uh, I mean, he doesn't have a high opinion about himself when he says my righteousness my righteousness look at what he says psalm 16 verses 1 and 2 when he this is what he has to say before god he confesses before god this is psalm 16 verses 1 and 2 preserve me O god for in you i put my trust okay he says it's not me lord it's you i put my trust i remember that song it's me it's me O lord standing in the need of prayer not my brother not my sister <laughs> It's me, O Lord. You see? It's me, Lord. I need you, Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. Boy, I do not have anything unless you give me. You deposit something in me. I like the KJV translation. It's beautiful. It's beautiful in the KJV. The quaint KJV. Okay. What he says, Oh my soul, verse 2, Thou hast said to the Lord, Thou art my God, my goodness extendeth not unto thee. In other words, when I look at my goodness and when I look at your goodness, boy, it's like a sea, it's like an infinity, there's a chasm between the two. I cannot even extend it. Like uh, I was reading this book by C.S. Lewis for the first time. I started reading him. Boy, I'm enjoying him. In this book, uh, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, he says, it's called The Nearness of Likeness. You think that you're close to God, but there's a chasm between God and you. Think that you're very close, but there's a path that you have to take. And that path is Christ Jesus. To be really like God. There's a chasm. So David understood that. He's not presumptuous is not boastful when he says my righteousness my righteousness but he's very he's very conscious about his iniquity the question is do you know your sin 
Do you know it? It's very important. I mean, I, I recently read this quote by one man of God. I mean, man of God, John Piper, of course. Those who know their sin are the best healers. Boy, powerful. In other words, if you are blind, you cannot be an eye doctor. That's what he says, right? If you have a plank in your own eye, how can you see the moat in your brother's eye? But take care of the plank in your eye so that you will be clearly able to see the moat in your own eye. And you will not be presumptuous about your own sin. What will happen to you is this. There will be a spirit of humility that will come upon you when the moment you start analyzing and judging yourself and what God has done to you, one thing that will always happen, the moment you start judging yourself, seeking the face of God and asking Him, and if you really, really are spending time in the presence of the Lord, He will show you the depth of your sin. Depth of your sin. And that will liberate us. What will, what it will tell us, what it will make us, it will actually give us a spirit. It will say, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. I need you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It will give you the spirit of meekness. And when you really have the spirit of meekness, you will be clearly able to see another brother's fault and not judge him, but have a spirit that will say, Lord, Correct him. Let him be restored. Look at what it says in, in Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brother, brothers, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are sp- spiritual, you really think that you're spiritual? This is what will, what will happen to you. Restore such an, such an one in a spirit of meekness. And how do I have a spirit of meekness? Next what you say, considering yourself so that you will also not be tempted. It will give you a spirit of meekness. Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh Lord, you will not despise. Psalm 34 verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. And this evening, as we have come and we have sung, right? We said, Lord, cleanse me from within. Are you ready for a cleansing? If God were to show you the depth of your own sin, would you be saying, Lord, I humble myself? I want a cleansing, Lord. I want to be really, really free. John's Gospel, chapter 8. This is what we were looking at. Verses 33 and 34. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been bond- in bondage to anyone. How can you say you have made me free? You, have, you, you, will be, you will be made free. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son does. Therefore, if that son makes you free, you will be free indeed. What it tells me is this. Why do I commit sin? Because I'm a slave of sin. This is what empowers sin. It's not because I commit sins and therefore I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a sinner. It's not that. I, I, I'm a sinner, therefore I commit sins. And this language is not just... Here, you'll see through the Bible, the same apostle, John, 1, John's, uh, 1 John chapter 1 verses 8 to 9, very interesting. You'll see the play as to how clearly he writes this. If we say that we have no sin, see that? We have no sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we, what? Confess our sins. See? What is empowering this is my sin. That's the idea. He's faithful. And just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If you acknowledge the fact that there's something fundamentally bad with each one of us. So how did we come to this point? How did we become slave to sin? So this is, you know, inevitable. You have to go to this part of scripture. I just, I'll, I try to avoid it as much as I can, but I think today I'm not going to go into the depths of it just very briefly, concisely. Uh, as to what, how, how much I learned from this part of scripture. How did I become a slave of sin? Romans chapter 5 verse 12 onwards. This is powerful. You read Romans, you'll fall in love with God. And you'll fall in love with the Apostle Paul. You'll just fall in love with him. You'll say, thank God for this man. And one man of God said, two reasons why I'm a Christian. One is Jesus Christ, second is Apostle Paul. 
And I think it's true for all of us. This man, the way he analyzed himself and gives us the root cause for all our sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 onwards. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And look at this. It's not a completion of a statement. It's a column. He he wants to substantiate that statement. Therefore, he gives a reason. For until the law was, sin was in the world. Until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when when there is no law. It is not where there is no law. It is when there is no law. Notice that. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him. Who was to come? Let me rephrase it. I mean, in other words, Adam sinned. He died. We all died because we all sinned. How does that work? He says, until the law was, sin was in the world. Law came much more later. Sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. But from Adam till Moses, everybody died. Even those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression, who was a figure of, or a type of a type of who was to come. Then he goes on to say, how much Adam messed up. He'll show us, I mean, Adam and therefore we all. Romans chapter 5 verse 15a. This is the first part. For if by one man's offense, many died. Adam sinned. He died. All of us died. Romans chapter 5 5 verse 16a. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation for all. That's the, that's the connotation over there. Romans chapter 5 verse 17a. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one. He died. Not only died, death reigned through the one. We came under the dominion of death. You know that verse, First Corinthians chapter 15 verse 56. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. And thanks be to God. Right? But we'll not go there. You understand this. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one. Was 18 name. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation. All men resulting in condemnation. We all died in Adam. Romans 55 verse 19a. For as by one man's disobedience, this is the key. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. What happened to them? Something happened to them. That's what David says. I was birthed in sin, shaped in iniquity. In iniquity, my mother conceived me. I don't have to wait for a while. Just leave me alone for a few days. Sin will manifest. I was made a sinner through one man. And then what happened? A terrible thing happened. Law came. What happened? Law came. Made matters worse to me. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Think about it, no? I was telling this in many, many Bible studies. I also tell, told it in GSS. How many commands, commandments did Adam have? One commandment. How many did he disobey? One commandment. So, one commandment, one Adam. Okay. And then what happened? The Ten Commandments came. And one man of God in his commentary says, when the Ten Commandments came, instead of having one Adam, each one of us has ten Adams. One Adam gave rise to one transgression and death. And what had happened? Ten Commandments came. The sin abounded. And we were guilty of transgressing every law. Think about it. 613 commandments. How many Adams? 613 Adams. Figuratively speaking. Four. That's what Paul will say. He'll say, look at what he says. For I would not have known covetousness. This is a man after God's own heart. I believe in the old, in this new covenant. Look at this, what, how he confesses. He understands his sin so well. He says, for I would have not known sin unless the Lord said, you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of sin. All manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, 
sin was dead. You know what the law said? If you break one commandment, you are guilty of breaking all the commandment. Sin abounded. Many were made sinners. So how does God save us from our sin? That's the big question. An answer? Through His much more. Okay? Let me give you an example. This is just for analogy, okay? Don't take things literally, just for an analogy. I mentioned this even sometime back, I think, in some of the Bible study with the children. Just imagine, just for us to understand this, okay? This is just a very simple example. Let's say I go to Pastor James and I say, Pastor James, excuse me, I just come to your home and I say, Pastor, can, you, can I just borrow your car? Pastor says, of course you can. He gives me his keys. He says, thank you, Pastor. And uh, he says, uh, okay, the fuel tank is just half. I'll do one thing. Sajid, please come here. Just go and fill it up full, okay? And come back and give it to Vijay Saab. They call, Sajid called me Vijay Saab, okay? That's the privileges of being a called, called a pastor. And Sajid goes, fills up the tank, and he comes, he comes to me and he gives him the keys. I said, Vijay, enjoy. So I go, I finish my work. Pastor, the whole day I need the car. He said, absolutely not a problem. Go and come back. So, I go, on the way, back home, in my impatience, I bang into somebody. And there's a huge dent. Pung. And now I come back home. I come out and Pass comes out and he says, oh, you came back and he sees the dent. And me with my heart in my mouth, I get out. Visibly for a moment, he's got a frown on his face. And then he cools down and he says... Pastor, I'm so sorry. I'll get it fixed. He says, don't worry about it. Okay? I've got insurance. Take care. He said, thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Don't even worry about it. Just go home. Go home to your wife. Okay, whatever it is. Okay? So I just go home and I'm like, did I really offend him? And etc. 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 And then what happened? And the next day I go to Sajid. Sajid, uh, did you claim the insurance? No, actually, Saab ne insurance ne claim He has actually paid the whole thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, he didn't even say a single word. Okay. I'm really amazed. And then, after a few days is over, having, I have a need in my home, and uh, Justin says, we need to get a printout. So, Justin, I said, Justin, why don't you go to pastor's home and get a printout? She looks at me, pastor's home? Printout? Oh, please. You know what I'll say? Justin, you don't know about pastor. This is just an analogy, okay, okay. Don't take it, don't take advantage of, okay. Listen, you don't know about pastor. When I asked him for a car, he full tanked it, full tanked it, and he gave it to me. I made a dent, he didn't even claim insurance. I'm asking for a printout, will he not give me? Will he not give me? It's what we call as the argument from the lesser to the greater. It's called the a fortiori argument. You see, the Bible is full of arguments. I, 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 something I discovered about the Bible and I, I'm starting to fall in love with God. That God is the one who argues with his people. He says, don't you see what a God I am? A God of much more. And will he not give me? A printout? Uh, just an example. Look at what it says. The Bible has to say this. Say about this. The first much more in the New Testament is got to do with, uh, excuse me, ladies with clothing. Okay? And men, gents, of course. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today, just today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more <laughs> clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What a God. He's trying to argue with us. You know, when 
God tries to, see we don't, we really, really have a very small opinion about God. And one of the things Paul and all the inspired writers through the language which is so limited to us, they try to magnify God. What does it magnify mean? It's not magnifying as in looking at, into, looking through a telescope. When you look at it, look, look through a telescope, what happens? You're actually looking at tiny microorganisms and you're bloating it out. God is not tiny. That you're bloating him out. That's not what magnifying is. What is magnifying? You're actually seeing him through a telescope. You're, you're seeing a huge God who's so far away in terms of likeness. And the Bible is doing its best to bring him close to us. It's trying to show us what he really, really is. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than you ask or think is what Paul will declare in Ephesians. Much more. I love the much mores of God. Do you see how God argues with us? So let me look at, let us look at hopefully five much mores. Five much mores. Five much mores. Romans chapter five has how many much mores? Five much mores. What does Romans chapter five talk about? It talks about the grace of God. What is the number of the grace of God? Five. Interesting. See? Much more number one. Let us look at it. For, boy, I love that statement. For, what is the preceding statement? Not only so, we join God. We join tribulation. We glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation works patience. Patience works proven character. Character works hope. Hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Because of, because of the Holy Spirit which has been given to us for. Okay, that is how the statement is coming. Okay, it's remarkable. Man, you need to understand. You need to start looking at scripture like a puzzle. Okay, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. All the pieces just coming together and you see it in part, not completely. I, I mean, every time I come to scripture, I, I look at it and I say, boy, this is awesome. Look at what he says. This is much more. Why? For when we were still without strength, we had absolutely no strength to work out our salvation. We were without strength. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For Why? Again, afar. You see that? Because scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. It's interesting that good and righteous are not the same. <laughs> Scarcely for a righteous man would one die, and for a good man would one would even dare to die. I'm not going to go to the depths of that, details of that, but you see that. You just want to bring it to your attention. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is what he did. We were without strength. We were ungodly. We were not righteous in any way. We are not godly in any way. We were not good in any way. But you know what God did it? What God did? He demonstrates his love in that we were, while yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if he died for us, the first much more. Much more then. Verse 9. Having now been justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does that, what does it mean? God was absolutely against us. It, it says God resists the proud. What does resisting mean? It's as if the entire army of heavenly hosts is against the proud man. He was against you. So what happens when Christ died? When you humble yourself, everything which was against us becomes for us. Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Just keep the analogy that I have given you in your mind. We'll come back to that. We shall be saved. We shall be saved from wrath. I'm not sure how we, the way we deal with our children is completely different from the way we deal with others. If Abigail misbehaves, I'm not 
angry with her. I might be angry with her, meaning I'm not, I don't have wrath against her. I have discipline against her. You see that? Even in discipline, I'm not against her. I'm for her. You see that? You see that? You need to understand this. Uh, remember that beautiful analogy that uh, John Bunyan gives in his uh, in Pilgrim's Progress. You ought to read that, okay? He says, uh, this pilgrim and uh, hopeful, they listen to this guy called flatterer and they are deceived and they are in a net. And in the net they are crying out and suddenly the angel of the Lord comes. So what does the angel of the Lord do? These guys are in a net. First of all, he doesn't say, how how many times I told you not to get into the net? He doesn't say that. First, he removes the net. Puts it aside. Then you know what it is? Christian and hopeful say, thank you so much. After that, he removes the danda. Christian and hopeful say, why? Then he gives them a nice solid thrashing. I, did I not warn you not to listen to the flatterer? I mean, that is how I look at God. What it tells me is this. If I am not being disciplined by God, I am actually under the wrath of God. And God is not for me. That's what he says in Hebrews chapter 12. You evil fathers, you discipline your children because for a little time you do it for for their pleasure. But God, so that you will be made partakers of His holiness. Otherwise, you are not children. You are illegitimate. What happens therefore? What happens? The first act what God does is, He when He is against us, His entire force is against us, He completely changes His position. Now, without He's not against us anymore. He doesn't He doesn't He's not against us. He says, I'm for you now. Not because you did anything. Only one thing you did. You acknowledged that you're helpless. And therefore I'm for you. Amazing. You know what? These are the truths that you really be gripped with. If you're gripped by these truths, you, the way you approach God will be completely different. Romans chapter 8 verses 31 to 33. What then shall we say of these things? What are these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look at that. And then he gives you the argument from the lesser to the greater. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What is the first thing he gives? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. That's exactly what happens to the children of Israel in the wilderness when Barak is asking Balaam to curse Egypt curse Israel. He says, I don't see iniquity in Jacob. No. I don't see it. I don't see it. I don't see any iniquity. I don't see sin in them. I'm for them. Yes, they have sinned. But I'm going to deal with them differently. I'm going to deal with them like a father does with his children. I love that. And he's going to deal with us as fathers in the days to come. He will. See, when we are entering into this 10th year, we need to really get these things into our minds. Because it's going to be a shift for sure. For all those who believe there will be shift. It may not be palpable outside, but deep down inside something is happening. In the spiritual realm something is happening. And if you, if you really take it seriously, and if you constantly keep judging ourselves, you know what, God, what's gonna happen? God is gonna use us in ways that we cannot even imagine. Because He says, in a house, there are vessels of honor, there are vessels of dishonor. But if one purifies himself, I'll make use of you as a vessel of honor. So what does first God do? What is against me? He comes towards me. Entire power of God which was working against me becomes for me. That's exactly what Paul of Saul of Tarsus realizes. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. It is worthless for you to prick against the goats. Then he says, what am I doing, Lord? You're working against me, Saul. What do you want me to do? I will do something with you. I will do something with you. I'll be for you now. I'll use you as a vessel of honor. 
First thing. Second much more. Romans chapter 5 verses 10 to 11. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more, like that word, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And the result of that, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. The point here is this. Not everybody receives this. Otherwise, automatically it has to happen to everybody. It doesn't happen. That's the second much more. It doesn't happen to everybody. Nobody receives it. Even now. Even, not when I'm saying now, just asking myself, is that verse true, true about me? When I come to listen to the word, do I listen to it as a word of man or as a word of God? What's my attitude? See, not everybody will receive. You see that? What does it tell me? Look at this. Much more having having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What does it tell me? Hebrews chapter 7 verses 24 to 25. Powerful. But he, this is Jesus, because he continues forever. Romans chapter 6 verse 8, 9. For in that he dies, he dies to, actually it was 10. In that he dies, he died to sin once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God forever. And what does he do? But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he also is able to save us to the uttermost. Uttermost. He's not only going to rescue us from the penalty of sin, he's going to rescue us from the power of our sin, he's going to rescue us from the presence of our sin, and he's going to rescue us also from the pleasure of our sin. Also, that's the reason why he says this one. This is a powerful verse. What is this? We start rejoicing in God. We start rejoicing. We who were God-haters, Romans chapter 1 will say, we were haters of God. Now we will begin to love God. See the analogy that I gave you? When I go and ask Sajid, did Sir get insurance? No, I said, he paid it. Paid for it. What will happen to me? He paid for it? And he didn't, didn't even tell me? And he was so nice to me? What a boss I have. That will be my natural, natural reaction. What a boss. What a master. See, Paul always gives these analogies. He says, slave, master, slave, master. And he says, I know, I know, I know you fellows. The slave, master, slave, master analogy is not coming well with you. Because many of you were slaves. And if I give you, keep on, give you this slave, 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 I am giving you this example because of the infirmity of your flesh. You know, particularly in America, they might have an issue. You're no longer a slave of sin, but you're a slave of righteousness. And they will say, we were not slaves. You're no longer under slavery. They will have a problem. But Paul is saying, I understand your problem. I understand your problem. I'm explaining this way because of the infirmity of your flesh. But you don't understand our master. You don't know this master. You know what will happen if you know this master? You will say, Lord, I don't want to be your slave. I want to be your bond slave. Take an all. Pierce me. I want to love you. What a master I have. What a master. What a freedom I will enjoy. You see, I start rejoicing God. Do you rejoice in God? It's a question. So, he's able to save us to the uttermost. That's the second much more. And because of that, how? why is he able to save to the uttermost? Because he's always living to make intercession for them. Look, look, look at eight, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 32 to 34, 34 to 37. Who is who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are all killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We begin to experience the love. The third much, the second much more. What does he do? He takes us, he puts us in a new position. God now, instead of being against us, he's for us. Now God, instead of working against us and condemning us, he's interceding for us. That's a high priest we have. Why do, why do we have that high priest like that? Because he was tempted in every area. 
and yet he did not sin. He understands the power of sin. I'll give you this example, again a simple example which I learned. I gave it some time back. Think about a sin that is that is very close to your heart, dear to you. And you want to resist it. It says in Romans chapter 12 verse 4, you have not resisted sin unto the shedding of blood. Think about it. A very interesting analogy, okay? Let's say I suffer from impatience. Okay? There are three people. Okay? Let's say Vijay, some other person, X who is much more spiritual than I, and there is Jesus. Okay? Or it's another person who is the most spiritual. Three people. A, B, C. And the sin that you struggle with, let's say, is impatience. Could be anything, lust or whatever. Impatience. Impatience is interesting for me. So let us assume that impatience is like a ditch. Okay? A ditch with a stone. Okay? I fall into that and there's a stone called the power of sin. Okay? This rope, stone called power of sin, which is, which is pulling me down. The weight is the pressure. The, the rope can, let's say, withstand 100 kg weight. That's the maximum it can withstand. Okay? So, guy number A, Vijay. Rope is tied to his chest like that. Impatience over there. Rope can handle 100 kg's pressure. 20 kg's impatience has come. Temptation. <laughs> Control myself. I said, cool, take it, take it easy. And I do laughter therapy also, like in Munabai MBBS, okay? And then, ha 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 ha, I laugh, and then I just cool down. And then again, pressure has increased, Emmanuel irritates me more. 40 kgs. Kark! 40 kgs, impatience is, no, it's coming there now. Now, Abigail has done 20 kilos, Emmanuel has done 20 kilos. Jacinth has to do just 5 more kilos. 45 kilos. I can't breathe anymore. What comes out? Matrubasha. Impatience. Gone. I lose my patience. There's another guy. 40 kilos. We'll start with 40, okay? Tightens up and... Tightening up, but he's like, it's not gonna, he's not gonna cave in another 20 kilos, 60 kilos. He's got ability. He says, no way, I'm not gonna lose my patience. I'm gonna take it easy, take it easy, take it easy. 10 more kilos, 70 kilos. No, he can't breathe anymore. It's tightened his chest. Those lungs are getting pressed inside. And then he says, no way, Jose. And he gives him. Think about the third guy. Third guy. Starts with 15. Impatience. Anger comes and he's just controlling himself. He's not going to cave in. Then, another 20 kilos, 70, he's not going to cave in. 80 kilos, and then he's not able to bear it anymore, but he doesn't want to give in. So what does he do? There is a tree over there, which is in the shape of a cross. He hangs on to it and he says, he holds on to that. I'm not going to give in. And he looks at the face of Jesus. Jesus who was so infinitely patient with him and he gets tears in his eyes and then what happens the moment he looks at the face of Jesus there is a added inspiration that comes into his heart and then he clings on and then the pressure increases to 100 kg and what happens but this time the ropes are eating into his flesh, he's bleeding but he's not giving in and then what happens 100 kgs the row broke. Now tell me, which of them understood the power of sin more? The guy who caved in first or the guy who never gave up? Tell me. That is what he says. Jesus, with all his power, he was tempted in every area And can you imagine the forbearance of God? That is the reason why he says, this righteousness, 
verse chapter, chapter 3 verse 19 of Romans. For now we know that the law speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be made guilty before God. For by the works of the law, no man is justified before God. Why? Because through the law is the knowledge of sin and the shifting of gears from then. But now the righteousness of God, which is apart from the law. Even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it, a righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ is being made manifest to everyone. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. He understands the power of sin. He knows exactly what you and I face. You cannot say, Lord, you don't know me. You don't know what I'm going through. He says, I know everything that you're going through. And in fact, I know everything infinitely more times than what you've gone through. I have not caved in. Therefore, he's able to save us. He's going to make us even more than conquerors. This sin business we want to tackle. But you want to cling to him? Much more number three. Sorry. Much more number three. But the gift is not like the offense. Wow. <laughs> what is the gift? The gift is the righteousness of God. For if by one man's offense, many died. One guy Sinned, everybody died. Much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded to many. And the gift is not like the one which came through the one who sinned. For the offense, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. Much more the grace of God. Much more the grace of God has abounded to many. What does it tell me? One man, you can understand to, you die for one man's sin, you can understand. But for to die for every man's sin from Adam till the last man, who's ever going to live on the planet? That's what he did. It tells me one thing. It tells me one thing. When I look at the patience of God in my own life, when I look at others, it says, Lord, Make me patient with them. Make me patient. It will radically change the way you behave with your children. The way you behave with your, with your boss in your office. With your lecturer at school. With your teacher in school, your lecturer in college. Everything will be radically on top because you will understand how much merciful God was with you. And you'll say he has abounded to many. Many. And much more in the body of Christ. You know why I, why I tell this? I perceive this, you know, just, just a perception. I'm not picking up on any one of you. I perceive this in my own heart. It's my examination of my own heart. I, most of us are so impatient with each other. Very impatient. Very. <laughs> Unbelievably impatient. We want everything perfect. Sister Elsa came to my home the other day and Maddie was there for the last time in our home. And the children were just running around like making a racket. I said, Abigail, come on, sit down. Come on, sit down. And she looked at me. You want your children to always be perfect, isn't it? I said, oh, yeah, it's true. No. Expectation from them. They have to be sitting in one place all the time. Get up, get up. Sit, sit. They should be machines. But do you know that Christian life is not a machine? It's not a, like a robot. That they, that they, You'd say, uh, Jesus, come into my heart. From that time onwards, you don't have any struggles in your life. No way. No way, no way. How many times we fell after we became born again believers and how many times I fell after I became even a minister of the word of God. Even in my own preaching. I listen to sometimes, I listen to my preaching and I say, something, some things I listen, some statements. I say, Lord, that is not completely true. <laughs> what I said. It's not completely true. That is exaggeration, Lord. Forgive me. And what happens? I see that God is patient with me. What does it tell me? It tells me something. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another just as Christ. In Christ God forgave you. He forgave many offenses. Right from this time even until all the sins that you will finally commit even before you die. 
much more. The grace of God. The fourth much more. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 and 19. For if by the one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of the grace of God. Wow. And the gift of righteousness. What will happen to them? They will begin to reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. What will happen? God will start giving you power over your sin. What does he do now? How does he do it? Look at what this next statement will say. This is verse 19. For by one man's disobedience, many were made what? Sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be. Everybody read the last word. Made righteous. Understand that. There's a difference. They are not declared righteous. They are going to be made righteous. What will happen? Righteousness will become a part of your character now. God is going to start building righteousness in each one of us through the Holy Spirit. It will start moving into us and you will start, you will start enjoying right living in your life. That will become nature. I like that word. Made righteous. That's what I believe God is doing with all of us. He's making us righteous. He's just not declaring us righteous. That's the easy part. But being made righteous, that's incremental. Step by step, one day at a time. And you need to fight for it every day of your lives. You not only need to fight for the land that you want to conquer, you also have to fight for the land that you have already conquered. Do you know that? It says, take heed if any man thinks that he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. You think that you have conquered lust today? You have conquered anger today? Consolidate it. The pressure is only going, to, only going to increase. You need to consolidate the territory that you have conquered. You also have to gain new territory. And that is the reason why he's going to make us righteous incrementally, step by step, one day at a time, every day of our lives, even as we walk by faith. How does he do it? The fifth much more. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 to 21. I love this verse. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. I told you what that means. The law came, sin abounded. But where sin abounded, what happened? Grace abounded much more. So that, the reason, much more. So that, as sin reigned in death, even so, grace might reign through what? Through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what, what does God do? He slowly, incrementally starts building character in us. Slowly, slowly, patiently. That's what it says in Romans chapter 2 verse 7. Very interesting verse. He will, 6 and 7. He will render to every man according to his deeds. Those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory, seek for honor, seek for immortality, he will give eternal life. Boy, he will give eternal life. But to those who are disobedient, who do not obey the truth, who are contentious, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He doesn't have to give anything. There will be wrath and fury. Glory, honor and peace to everyone who does good. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To the Christian first and also to the Gentile. But wrath and fury to everyone who does evil. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Because God is not a respecter of persons. He says, you work patiently, patiently. We need patience, saints. And that's one of the things that we ask God this 40 days, Lord, make me patient, Lord. Make me, Lord. And he will put situations in your heart where even till yesterday, today in the morning, you still have to fight it. It's going to show its ugly head until you conquer it. And you say, Lord, I'm desperate for it, Lord. I'm sick and tired of, of this defeated life. You said, Lord Jesus, I am more than a conqueror and what is happening to me? That's what Gideon said, mighty man of valor, 
mighty man of valor? Lord, if I am the mighty man of, man of valor and if you are really God's people, what is happening with us, Lord? What is happening? If you are with us, what is happening to my life? If you are with us, why am I being defeated with this own sin? The same old sin over and over again. Lord, I want to break out of this law. And you said, Lord, you are much more, you are more than able to do it. But how does the Lord do it? Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Look at this. What the law could not do, it was weak through the flesh. God has done by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, whose sin? Our sin. He condemned sin in his flesh. Our sin in his flesh. Why? So that the righteousness of the law might be not fulfilled for us, but be fulfilled where? In us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. It's a walk in the spirit. It is something internal. It is to be and not to do. It is from internal. He says he's a Jew who is not one who is outwardly, but he's a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the spirit, not of the letter. It's a matter of the spirit, not of the letter. He has to start working in us every day. This is daily dependence upon God and I have to fight for it every day. I have to fight to enjoy God. I have to fight to overcome sin. I have to fight to overcome the evil one in my life every day, every day. And that happens only through the spirit. So what do I do? So what do I do? Very simple. I depend upon another God's much more. Luke's gospel chapter 11 verse 12 to 13. If he ask an egg, you fathers, evil fathers, will you give him a scorpion? No way. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? We don't have because we don't ask. And when we ask, we don't get it because we want to spend it on our own lusts. You adulteresses and adulterous adulterers, don't you know the friendship with the world is enemy to the world. We don't ask. You know why? Every time when we ask for the Holy Spirit, He's called the Spirit of the truths. And when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes, He does three things. He will convict us of the world, of sin, and of righteousness. First thing He will come and show Vijay. You still have world inside of you. Still. You still have world inside of you. Still you have world inside of you. In different levels. You may not be doing something sinful, but you'll certainly be doing something worldly. Check your browsing history. Check your browsing history. Just go to, go back home and see how much you searched for God and how much you wasted your time. Apparently, these days we have technology, so interesting technology we have. How much time we spend in one place, you can calculate. There's an app called, whatever app. In this particular website, you spend so much time. In this particular website, you spend so much time. Let's say you're working for 10 hours in a day. Just check how much time you are actually seeking God or seeking the world. You may not be seeking something sinful, not necessarily, but you're seeking the world. You're worried more about the world, things in the world. Besetting sin, besetting persons. One of the things that I really, really had to struggle myself to do was to not search for Rafa Nadal for the past several weeks. Not kidding. I was so obsessed at one point of time. This guy is winning tournament after tournament. I'm saying, oh my goodness, he's coming back to form. I have something to tell to Rishi now. Always he taunts me. You look at this guy. He won the Rome Master, uh, Monte Carlo. He won Barcelona. He won Madrid. I'm waiting for him to win Rome. Okay? And you go and check my browsing history. I've checked and I'm telling you honestly. Rafa Nadal, Rafa Nadal, Rafa Nadal, Rafa Nadal, Rafa Nadal, Bible Gateway. Rafa Nadal, Rafa Nadal, Bible Gateway. Rafa Nadal. And this is when I'm fasting. And then you know what happened? I was 
What's I'm, I'm actually tense. I'm listening. I can't see it live tennis now. I'm listening to commentary. You know what God had to do? He got eliminated in one of the preliminary rounds in Rome. I started thinking. I said, I looked at my browsing history. I said, boy, goodness gracious me, how much time. How much time. Futility, this fellow. We don't even know if he's going to make it to eternity. I'm going to see Apostle Paul for sure. No, for sure, but I don't know about Rafa Nadal, for sure. What do you have? Do you see God? And that time I started making a conscious effort. I said, Lord, no, 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 this can't be. This can't be, Lord. This can't be. You know, otherwise it'd be like this. You're you're fasting. I, I, I saw this BBC advertisement. Okay, this is not BBC advertisement. This is a BBC news. This Hamas guy is on a hunger strike for something. Okay, and they put CCTV cameras all around the place. He's on a hunger strike, and then this guy he goes inside, eats his food, and comes out and acts as if he's doing hunger strike again, and it's all caught in camera. And then I looked at that news and I said, Lord, not my fast, Lord. Let it not become hunger strike. And where I'm taking break and when you see you, you're fasting. It has an appearance of wisdom and virtue, but it is worthless in denying the things of the flesh. Colossians chapter 2. You ask, that is the reason why fasting is so important. You know why John Piper makes a statement. He says, when you fast, you're saying, Lord, I love you so much more than food. I love you so much that I want to experience what your son experienced. That one day I will also be able to say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. But that proceeds from the mouth of God. In spite of the fact that I fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I came when I came. When he tempted me with food, I said, you know what? I experienced God 40 days and 40 nights. And now I realize that man shall not live by bread alone. And I was listening to pastor. He says, Vijay, you know what? I was fasting two meals a day and I had the power, more strength than these fellows who were younger than me. And I was able to preach for two hours. You know what? I, what, what came to my remembrance? It, this came to my mind when Jesus was with the, with the, with the, with the, with the lady at the well, right? He was at the lady at the well and he, he asks his disciples, he sends them away, asks them to bring food and he has this conversation. Now the conversation is over. She gets saved and the disciples come back and he says, master, eat. He says, I'm no longer hungry. And they look at each other. Did somebody give him something? Food? Some food to eat? And he says, you know what? I have food that you do not know. My food. My food is to do the master's will. And to finish the purpose for which he has sent me. That gives me strength. That gives me sustenance. That is divine strength. And I want to experience that through a fast. Can you want to, do you want to experience that? That is the reason why we fast. We want to ask God, Lord, fill me. You are a God of much more. How much more I should experience that. If Moses can go 40 days and 40 nights for three times without water and food to hear from you, how much more you and I in the New Testament? How much more? How much more? Test God. Prove Him. Ask Him. Will He not give? Will He not give? He's a God of much more, saints. This evening, therefore, I want to ask you, the whole idea is I want to deal with my sin and I cannot do it. If I by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body, I will live. If I by the spirit put to death the deeds of the body, I will live. And if I have to have a continuous experience of victory over sin in my life, I need a continuous supply of the Holy Spirit in my life. Every day. And you know what he is after? The enemy is after your faith saints. He's constantly pouring water over the fire that God has ignited. But thanks be to God, if you rely upon him, he will continually give you the Holy Spirit. So the fire will never be quenched. The fire which God has ignited in your heart will never be quenched. And you will be able to overcome sin in your life. That is a challenge. Take it up and say, Lord, I want to overcome. I want to put a smile on your face. I want to experience what your son experienced. I want to experience the fact that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And my food is to do the will of God. And when I do your will, I have strength. Strength to go about. That's a supernatural walk. That is the reason why he says, labor not for food that perishes, but the food that tends you to, takes you to eternal life. I am the bread from heaven. I am the bread for heaven. Heaven, He or whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood will never die. 
This evening, I just want to challenge you, saints. We are in the 24th day of our fast. 24th day of our fast. Young people, take it as a challenge. I'm telling you, take it as a challenge. Look at your sin in his eye. Look at your sin in his eye and say, you know what? You will have no mastery over me. I remember Derek Prince, very interesting, very powerful man of God. I'm going to start with this analogy. He said, you know, uh, I was fasting the whole day. And then my stomach started troubling me so much. When I came home, I was so exhausted and, and in crave for food so much. And just about before he was about to take his, take his meal, just had a fresh inflow of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you know what? Stomach. You troubled me so much today. You gave me a lot of trouble. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to fast another day till you become my slave and not my master. That is the reason why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, of many, I say weeping. I say weeping and he gives a sequence. He says, their end is destruction. He says, you know what? He says, their end is destruction. That's the first thing he mentions. Their end is destruction. And then he says, who glory in their shame, whose God is their belly, whose eyes are on the things of the earth, and they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And enemies of the cross of Christ. One experience this. This is not theory, saints. This is life. <laughs> Your words are spirit and life. This is theory, not thought, not just theory. This is life. This is life to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. That is God. And that's my purpose. And I believe that's what God has to call me to exalt Him so that you love Him. That you will follow, fall in love with Him. As that man of God said about John the Baptist, they heard Him speak and they did not follow John. They followed Jesus. Follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this time. You're an awesome God. Your mercy endures forever. We want to ask, we want to ask, oh Lord, for victory and the power to overcome the evil one and our own sin. Spirit which is contrary to the flesh and the flesh which is contrary to the spirit. And they're against each other. But Lord, you said, if you by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. By the Holy Spirit, O oh Lord, it is made possible. Grant us the desire. Grant us victory. Enable us to taste victory so that we will be craving for more of victory in our lives. Thank you, I praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.